welcome to the Dose of Good podcast, where I share with you good people and organizations doing good things. In our world, we constantly hear about the bad and negative things that go on, and I think we should hear more about the good happening every day that isn't shared or talked about as much. I will be featuring nonprofit organizations and the individuals who help them to be a success. I would also love to celebrate good people doing good and kind things on their own. If you know of anyone, send them my way. I'm your host, Erin Rowe. Now let's get into today's episode. For today's episode, I'm speaking about the American Heart Association. My guests are Brian Shanky, Executive Director of the Northern New England Region, and Nancy Bond, Government Relations Director for New Hampshire. I had a great discussion with both of them, and I think you'll learn a lot about the American Heart Association and the work that they do. And now let's get into it. Today I'm here with Brian Shanky, Executive Director for Northern New England for the American Heart Association, and Nancy Vaughn, Government Relations Director for New Hampshire. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. It's exciting to be here. So could you start by telling us the mission statement of the American Heart Association? Sure, yeah. The the American Heart Association uh, is really uh, geared towards advancing health and hope for everyone everywhere. And our mission statement uh, is encompassing of that by being a relentless force for a world of longer, healthier lives. Okay. So I had noticed on your website that there are five key areas that they cover. That was research, heart and brain health, health equity, advocacy, and professional education and development. Could you just share a little more detail with us on each of those areas? Yeah, well, I, I can I can lead off. Um, so, the, the good news is that the American Heart Association works really hard in all of those areas to, to impact the health of the community, um, and within that, there's a lot of activities that we do to really help make an impact for people's lives. So um, we do a lot of, on a national level, we work to, to do a lot of research that um, really makes a difference in terms of cardiac care, in terms of systems of care. Uh, locally, we work to bring in um, you know, companies and friends to help support the mission. And we have various things that we do during the year that help that help kind of be a vehicle to provide that that um, you know those those health avenues. Um, when we look to a lot of our work on the state level, a lot of it revolves around advocacy efforts, and that's mm-hmm. that really is why uh, where Nancy becomes uh, very effective. She, I'll, I'll turn it over to you to say a couple words. Sure. Thank you, Brian. Um, Yes, so as government relations director, my work is largely in that field of advocacy, that one of those pillars. Um, And actually, we um, as an organization have been doing advocacy for 40 years now um, in in a national level as well as state and local. Um, And when Brian was just talking about research a moment ago, um, it is a priority for us to fund research. Um, We do this um, at a national level, 
So some of our funds do go to research projects across the country. And we also fund research here in New Hampshire um, and, and other states um, do likewise. And um, we are a very science-based organization. So that research that is done across the country as well as in New Hampshire, we then channel into um, our policy objectives for our advocacy goals. Um, and we also translate that into that professional education um, that we, we also focus on. As a matter of fact, we had just had our um, scientific sessions, which is um, kind of it's a world-renowned um, research um, event that we do every year. And again, so um, the research that we fund, um, as well as research that we don't fund, researchers who come together to talk about their research projects, and that helps disseminate that information um, throughout the research community. That's good to know. Thank you. And how did each of you get involved with the American Heart Association? Well, I've served in the nonprofit community for a little over 20 years. I, I worked for a long time in youth development and uh, eventually found my way into uh, working with, with the health-related nonprofits. I worked for, um, for another national nonprofit for, for a couple of years and decided it was a great opportunity for me to, to come to the American Heart Association because of the, the great work that we do in the community uh, and, you know, the importance of heart health in our community. For me, um, I, again, you, you don't grow up wanting to you know, be in a nonprofit community per se. Um, and actually, I attended um, the University of New Hampshire and, and got a degree in, in business. So my, my thought um, was that I wanted to go into banking. Um, and, you know, during my experiences in, in college and, and getting, um, getting involved with a nonprofit organization as a volunteer, um, it, it kind of steered my interest um, in that, that direction. And um, I, too, worked for a different nonprofit at first. Um, and then the opportunity arose to, um, to come to the American Heart Association at the time doing fundraising for the organization um, and fell in love um, with, uh, with the fact that what we do is, is uh, work to help other people. Um, and heart disease um, is um, quite prevalent in my family history, uh, medical history. Um, my father passed away from heart disease and, and his sisters um, passed away from heart disease. Um, so it's, it's important to me. Um, personally as well. Sure. And what volunteer opportunities are available to people? And if someone was looking to, to volunteer for the organization, how can they get involved? So we have a lot of different avenues for volunteering. We have, uh, we certainly have a, uh, I guess starting at the, at the, the larger scale, we have a statewide board of directors that helps inform kind of the work that we do and also helps bring additional resources and connections. Uh, and so it's uh, anywhere from 12 to 15 people that sit on that, uh, depending upon the year. And then uh, we have, from there we have different event committees. Uh, we have three events in the state, three campaigns that, that help, um, help bring in additional funds and important uh, it, it has an important function of education throughout the state. Um, one being the Go Red event that helps promote women's heart health. 
the next being our annual walk, uh, our annual heart walk, and then finally we have our heart ball. And um, so each one of those committees ha is a each one of those events is a committee, and uh, volunteers can help out either at the at the fundraising side of the the house, but or also just just getting word out about it, uh, and maybe you know helping out behind the scenes with some logistical pieces or day of. Uh, we always need people at the walk to help out with with things, and you know an example of that might be handing out waters on the on the walk path to survivors and to groups. And then um, Nancy also has a group of volunteers that she works with on the advocacy level. Yes, I mean we we can't get the policies um, passed um, without the help of hundreds um, of advocates, and so we do have um, a network called Your the Cure. Um, and it is our um, advocacy volunteers who reach out to their lawmakers on issues that are um, of importance to them um, that, that, we, um, that we work with them um, for, for passing public policy, for whether it's prevention of heart disease, healthy lifestyles, um, uh, uh, treatment of, of heart disease and stroke issues. Um, so it, uh, you know, and, and being an advocate can be you know, reaching out to, to your lawmaker with a, a letter or a phone call, um, but we also have a committee, um, our advocacy committee in New Hampshire, uh, made up of individuals who, again, want to help with, um, you know, strategizing how we're going to get those those policies passed and how we can get the word out about why why those policies are important. Um, so, um, and uh, there, uh, some of the things that we do are, you know, we, we write letters to the editor, um, our volunteers, that is, um, and. Uh, um, they can go on radio shows um, and uh, and talk um, about uh, about why those policies are important to them. Some of them are, are healthcare providers themselves, and they see firsthand, um, you know, what what um, happens for um, for people who maybe didn't have access to heart healthy lifestyles, foods, um, physical activity, um, tobacco control is a big issue um, that we work on. So we're always looking for volunteers to help out with all of those things as well. That's great. So if someone did want to volunteer, should they contact you or is there a certain person they should contact to get involved or? Yeah. They certainly can reach out to me um, uh, my, uh, through my email or, or through phone. Um, and I don't know if, if you want me to share what that information is. Um, That's up to but, you, but we yeah, can okay. also put it in the description so they can just click on it. And okay. yeah. Right. Yes, yeah. yes, definitely. Um, and uh, so for anything related to advocacy, um, uh, I'm more than happy to, uh, to talk with people, to visit with them, hear their stories, um, and, uh, and, uh, let's, uh, and also connect them to, um, to their lawmakers um, if they don't know who those um, individuals are, um, or if they do, um, help uh, you know, guide them through, uh, through meeting um, with, with lawmakers at the State House and things like that. So. Sure. Okay. And... What would you say is your favorite part of your job? Mm. I love the fact that no two days are the same. I'm the kind of person that appreciates variety, uh, which I, I know not everybody's about variety. Some people enjoy the same thing and, and, uh, and so on and so forth. But for me, I enjoy the fact that I go in and, and you know, one day... Uh, I might be meeting with a, a survivor, uh, someone who 
lived through a very traumatic experience, you know, involving their heart health, and they've overcome, you know, a, a major health situation, and, you know, and then the next day, I'm meeting with a bunch of uh, executive leaders in our community, uh, and so, and sometimes it's not even days, a lot of times that's one meeting to the next, uh, so for me, it's exciting to be able to know that um, you know, no two days are the same. And ultimately that no matter what the days look like, we're making a difference. You know, every, every meeting, every opportunity to tell the mission, it makes a difference. It makes a little bit of somebody's life better because of the work that we do. And I have to agree. It, it is working with our volunteers and, and our survivors who do have s stories to share and, um, you know, as with any job, you can get caught up in the day-to-day -day mechanics of I need to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, and, uh, and so it's a real grounding experience um, to then be, you know, alongside a, a volunteer um, who, um, whether it is a personal experience they've had with heart disease or stroke or a family member, um, sometimes as a child. Um, and uh, it, it just it, it grounds us in, mm -hmm. in terms of why we are doing the work that we do and it's, it's for people mm -hmm. and is there anything particularly challenging that you find with the work you do challenging mm -hmm. I think uh, that's a great question I, you know I, I think we all approach our work with the idea of we want to make the biggest impact. You know, we want to have the biggest, broadest, quickest, you know, solution to make a difference for people. And, you know, the reality is, is that a lot of things take time. Some of the stuff that, like, Nancy's worked on at the state level are things that, um, you know, really we look at it from a runway of, of years versus versus days or months uh, and so that that could be a little that could be a little bit you know you have to understand that you're making that difference over time over time yeah it's yeah. not always an immediate um, you know gratifying <laughs> experience um, whether it's you know uh, watching um, you know some some latest and greatest um, treatment advancements um, or passing policy it can it can take time I think the other um, challenge, which is also what makes the work exciting, is it's not just one message <laughs> that, that we get out there. We really need to you know, look at who our audience is from moment to moment um, and, and tailor that message in a way that, that resonates. Um, so, you know, some people are, are motivated um, for other, other um, you know, reasons or aspects within heart disease and stroke. So um, it's always finding that um, uh, that. that that particular tailoring. Yeah, and just to piggyback a little bit off what Nancy was saying, one of the things that I appreciate so much is that when when we talk about our mission, when, when we go in and we have a conversation with a, a company, with, a, with an individual, um, there's very few times, if any, that I can remember that um, when, when we really talk about the work that we do, we talk about you know our engagement with with making a difference in women's heart health. We talk about healthy nutrition. Um, we have a conversation about life-saving CPR skills. We talk about anti our anti-tobacco things. Mm -hmm. 
we talk about all these things, and at the conclusion of, of that conversation, there's very few people who say, you know what, I'm just not interested in that. I, I, I'm not interested in hearing about that. Most people immediately say, aha, uh-huh, my mom had heart issues, or this is important to me because somebody in my, in my work just had a, a stroke. Um, you know, I believe in women's heart health, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's the mission is so big that we do that regardless of the conversation the the important pieces of it really resonate with whoever we're talking to for the most part that's great and where do you think the American Heart Association has had the biggest impact is there one particular area or just overall Well, I, I can start just in general and turn mm-hmm. it over to Nancy for her thoughts. But when I look at our our anti-tobacco and anti-smoking, uh, smoking cessation programs, and I look at the work that we've done really going back to the early days before it was, before it was known really of, of, the, of the full impact uh, of, of smoking and tobacco products, you know, I, I feel pretty proud that we were and have been and continue to be a leader within that work. Um, even at a time early on when it wasn't necessarily that that exciting and we were battling the behemoths of, of Philip Morris and the other tobacco companies. Um, you know, when we look at our work in that in that world, our partnership with other organizations that obviously also believed in the cause, uh, we have made a significant impact over over time in that world, and um, you know that that's the kind of stuff that that gets me excited when I when I think about the future because I think okay, if we could have gone from a world where I don't even know the stats, but however many people were, were really, you know, were really engaging in tobacco and cigarettes back then to now where the education piece is very well known. There, there's still a fight. There's still still a battle going on with with uh, with proponents who are on the other side. But the reality is, is that every day we're making a big difference and slowly turning the ship. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Um, with uh, particularly with the tobacco issue, it, it, it <laughs> so there are are, are hills and valleys um, along the way. But um, I, I believe it was back in the the mid nineteen nineties um, when uh, the passage of a policy to really protect youth um, went into effect, and it was about thirty six percent of of kids in New Hampshire were smoking tobacco products. I mean, it was high, um, and uh, and the age of selling tobacco. Um, went from um, you know from a teenager from a young teenager to to the age of 18 um, had a dramatic drop in, in tobacco usage um, and uh, and then um, more recently um, increasing the age to 21 um, we, we again we had at that point about five percent of kids were using tobacco products in, in 2010 and then um, the vaping products came on the scene and so now we're, we, we've seen that spike in, 
in not not perhaps the smokable um, products, but vaping products and, and other tobacco products that are not necessarily inhaled, perhaps. Um, and, and the thing is, is these, these products contain nicotine, mm -hmm. and that is um, both the, the addictive um, chemical within the products, and kids didn't realize that um, vaping wasn't just flavored mm -hmm. um, uh, water <laughs> or vapor, um, but it, it really did have, have nicotine in it. Um, so now what we're seeing is kids addicted again. But it is really really the, the largest impact that we can have um, on heart health is to get people off of tobacco products. So there's half a million people in this country die every year from related to their tobacco use. And that is a highly preventable cause of death. And then, you know, the, the other thing that I would be remiss in talking through is, you know, on, on a national stage, there's a lot of there's a lot of eyeballs on uh, CPR because of, you know, some recent sporting events such as the Demar Hamlin, um, you know, situation where he had a he had a cardiac event right there in the field and he was saved by life saving CPR uh, and locally, you know, our, our objective, one of our objectives, is to educate and inform as many people as possible in life-saving hands-only CPR, um, which, you know, the distinction between hands-only CPR and full CPR is, is, a, is one that bears mention. You know, it's still important to, uh, for those of us that have the ability and, and, and time to be able to learn full CPR, including breathing, um, from a from a you know kind of a a very by, bystander kind of situation, um, you know people learning chest compression hands only. Uh, the science has been shown that that is effective in keeping people alive until, for the most part, paramedics are able to get there and assist on scene, even if you don't do breaths. And the reason for that is because. Um, you know, when people have an issue, typically they've been breathing, so they go down, and they have eight minutes of approximately eight minutes of, of oxygenated blood. And so if you just have the blood circulated, it's going, to, it's going to do a lot in terms of keeping people alive, again, until paramedics get there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as I look to the future of what's the work that we also need to do within the state, I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for getting that word out, for training people in hands-only CPR, and for eventually saving lives mm -hmm. because of it. So is that a training that you would be giving to medical professionals, or is that something the average person could get training in? It's an education piece. We, uh, we, we do it out of our office, typically. Um, we, we have people that, any you know, a company could reach out and could say, hey, can you get me some materials, and we'll work with that, with that organization to work with their employees. Um, or... Um, if there was a, a big enough group, we could do a, a centralized education for it. It's in a, in a training sense, it's not a training in the sense that you don't get a card from it. Mm -hmm. But what you do get is education and awareness of how to do the, the uh, how to jump in in the event of an emergency. And um, people are covered through Good Samaritan laws. So even if they don't have a card, if they're doing the right things and they're going into it with, with, uh, with 
you know, the best of intentions, then they're going to be covered through Good Samaritan laws. And the reality is, is that they're going to save a life. If if somebody was to to quickly fall in front of them and need some life-saving CPR skills, um, someone who doesn't necessarily have a card, but has some awareness and some education, and the ability to jump in in that situation, that will do, that will make a difference versus someone who doesn't. And I think a lot of people, um, uh, and, and this is for people who don't require CPR for their job. So healthcare providers have a different type of, of training for, for CPR, basic life support, advanced life support. It is really for, for people who just want to be able to, to, to do something sure. um, in the case um, that a friend or a loved one um, you know, collapses or a coworker. The reality is most cardiac arrests happen in the home. Um, so we, we try to get the word out that for people, you know, I, I, you, you don't, um, uh, um, you know, need to, to, you know, be concerned about, you know, oh, I don't know that person. Um, I may get an illness um, from, from helping a bystander because for the most part it is someone that, that you are, sh- are sharing a home with that, that, that's a family member. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the training is all about having a confidence level that, oh, I can actually perform this mm-hmm. if it's ever needed. And we have a wonderful 911 system that continues to walk, walk people through, yeah. through the process um, during, during a 911 call. Um, the other piece of, of the saving lives from cardiac arrest is really those automated external defibrillators. Yes. So having an AED um, in uh, close by. Most people are not going to have these devices in their homes unless they have a really high <laughs> um, risk for, for cardiac events. Um, but for businesses, I mean, you know, 20 years ago, businesses weren't even considering having AEDs on site. They were concerned about liability issues. But as Brian mentions, we have, um, you know, Good Samaritan <coughs> liability protections for owners of AEDs. And for, for the case of a student athlete, and actually there's a lot more students than we would think. It's a rare um, happening, what happened to um, the NFL player, um, but it's still about 23,000 um, people under the age of 18 a year will suffer a cardiac arrest. And it could be, um, as DeMar Hamlin did, a, a blow to the chest which um, in between heartbeats. So that's how <laughs> rare that wow. is and um, unlikely to happen to most people. But when it does, you want to make sure that people are ready sure. to take action, have the tools that they need. If you don't have an AED, again, because of our, our really advanced 911 system we have here, um, fire department police officers often have these AEDs. So you're, you're doing the chest compressions for about five minutes or so. Um, and and first responders um, will be on the scene, so to, to take over from there. But that's actually one thing that we are working on um, to ensure is is clearly um, described within the um, school sports emergency action plans in New Hampshire and other states as well um, to make sure that um, uh, that again in the event that a cardiac arrest should happen, whether it be a student, a coach, a spectator um, at a sporting event. Um, that uh, there be a team of people who are trained um, on doing CPR, trained on using AEDs, and practice um, that, that skill in the event that a, a, real, a real event happens, um, that they feel, again, that's that confidence level, um, that yeah. they're able to, to, to do things properly. Well, that's great, and I think that'd be wonderful if we could get more people trained in that to 
help if these situations do arise kind of thing. So I do have a few additional questions from some listeners that they submitted. Um, the first is, what is sudden cardiac death and some of its causes? So sudden cardiac death is basically where the heart very suddenly will stop beating in a normal rhythm. Um, we call this uh, um, atrial fibrillation. So the heart has not completely stopped, but it's more quivering. And, it, and when it's not beating, it's not able to pump blood through the body. So that's where the oxygenated blood comes in. And it can be caused by underlying heart disease. It can be caused, um, as we were just mentioned, by, by a blow to the chest in a, in a sporting event or, or any in a car accident. Um, it could also be from electrocution or drowning. Um, we just, we, it's, it's, it can, and it happens, as I, as I said, suddenly. So there may be absolutely no signs in the person um, before they, they collapse. So it is really you know, witnessing the collapse and being able to take action immediately. Mm-hmm. And you had brought up vaping, which I know is a big issue right now. And is vaping as bad for your heart as smoking? And I guess if you could explain a little why or why not, possibly. Sure. Um, I, I will start by saying a lot more research needs to happen, and a lot more research is currently happening. Um, the difference between um, a traditional cigarette and vaping device, the traditional cigarette does contain a lot more chemicals that we know of that are, are cancer-causing um, or can, can hurt your lung tissue. Um, vaping devices, because it is um, it's not um, a burning device, and it may not contain some of those chemicals, it does contain other other chemicals within the liquids um, and, uh, and and we're still looking at how that can impact um, the lungs and the heart um, because these um, organs work together sure yeah <laughs> um, so uh, that's why you often see um, heart lung and cancer <laughs> organizations mm-hmm. working together on this um, and, and as I mentioned it does have nicotine in it which is that addicting um, uh, chemical but nicotine in itself is a vasoconstrictor, meaning that it shrivels your blood vessels. So it restricts the blood, again, flowing through your body, even if you're not in cardiac arrest and your, your heart's beating normally, mm-hmm. um, that it can, can affect, um, uh, again, the oxygenated blood going through your body. Okay, thank you for that. And which New Hampshire hospitals offer heart transplants? I'm not sure if you know that, but if... I Okay. I, I, I don't believe any no. of them. None do. Oh wow! I didn't. Okay. So we um you know uh, uh, we have several hospitals that do open heart surgeries. Okay. And, and things and treatments of that that nature, um, but I believe it's really Boston is the closest. Okay. Or you know depending upon where you live in the state, it could be um, Maine Medical Center. I know those. Okay. Have, so, yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. And is there anything we haven't discussed today that you think we should talk about? You know, I, I'm going to go to, um, you know, the topic that um, Brian also mentioned. We have, um, it's a fundraising event, but it's also an educational campaign on women and heart disease. Yes. Um, and we, we started this some years ago, but there's still a lot of women that don't realize it's it's the number one cause of death for women as much as it is um, for, for men. Um, and what we see is that women, um, for what, whatever reason, I'm not going to say we're, we're weaker, um, we're not. <laughs> 
um, but but our bodies are smaller, um, and uh, and so women are more likely to die from that first heart attack than than a man is. So that's why you know you see male survivors of heart disease, and you kind of always think of men when you think of heart disease. Um, but women do um, need to be concerned about their heart health. We're protected by our hormones earlier in life, but once going through menopause, um, those hormones start to disappear, um, and that that protection is gone. So you know, as 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 we're young, um, live as heart healthy <laughs> as mm-hmm. you can. Um, but as we get older, it's something to talk with your medical um, professional about your sure. doctor, your nurse. Yeah. And I like to talk about our walk, which is June 2nd at Livingston Park in Manchester. And we really, you know, one of the things that I think is important to talk through with that is that uh, a differentiator from us and other organizations is a lot of organizations have walks, right? There's there's all kinds of great, um, you know, and worthy organizations that are doing a walk to promote kind of, you know, fundraising and awareness within the context of, of that walk. Um, our walk, though, has the additional benefit of really educating the workforce. You know, by being a part of our walk throughout the year and our walk program, um, you're exposed to a lot of different materials about leading a healthier lifestyle, um, you know, getting more active, and so on and so forth. And, you know, a company that forms a walk team or an individual that joins an already existing walk team will have exposure to those things through our um, through our platform, through our Heart Walk platform. So, you know, I, I like to I like to make sure people understand that yes, we want to raise money and awareness as part of the cause that we do. But we also want to make sure people be, lead healthier lives, and so, you know, f- that's that's something that slightly differentiates like our mission from like some other missions, that again probably do really great stuff in terms of in terms of raising awareness for the cause, but w- really with us it's a lot of education. On top of that. And which nonprofit should we feature next? It's a great question. A, a, a friendly nonprofit. Um, you know, I I have my my background was in youth development for a lot of years. I started out, uh, you know, my career working for the Boy Scouts, and then eventually worked for the Girl Scouts. Uh, and so, you know, I would I would probably say they'd be an interesting group to talk to. Uh, one of them, you know, either the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts, mm-hmm. um, and they they both do fantastic programming um, throughout the state for for you know character development of boys and girls and and citizenship citizenship training and those kinds of things. That would be great. Yeah, I'd love to have both of them on. I was a Girl Scout myself, so I know all the great things that they do. So, Nancy, did you have any thoughts about other nonprofits? You work with a lot of nonprofits. Yes, I have to think about all the the fact that we don't do this work, you know, in, in our own little world. Um, that we do work with a lot of other organizations, uh, the American Cancer Society, the American Lung Association, um, Breathe New Hampshire is another organization we work very closely with, all all within tobacco. 
Um, new, an, a, a relatively new partner that we've been working with is the New Hampshire Hunger Solutions Group, um, and they um, are a statewide organization on um, really looking at child hunger um, predominantly, but also adults. And you know, it's surprising how many of our seniors in the state um, do not have access to um, healthy food. I mean, we, we don't really think about that in, in America in general. Um, that um, that there are, are people who don't um, have either the financial resources, perhaps, or or they're in a in a very rural area, which you, you think would have plenty of healthy food in a rural area with gardens and all the rest, but um, it, it it really you know, the the grocery stores might be far and few between. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, to um, again, those organizations and those issues are also very important to the state. Yeah, I'll look into all of those. Thank you. And the final question is, what is the kindest thing you've ever witnessed or been a part of? The kindest thing? There's, uh, there's just so many. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. To, I'm happy to uh, hear that. Times, so it's, not, it's just, you know, to, to rank it in terms of um, of, of the kindest. I, I think it, you know, really is, um, you know, children helping other children um i I just you know you hear so much about bullying in schools and all the rest of it but but then you you can go into a a daycare (laughs) and see um you know little children that are helping um their their classmates or whatever um and i think um you know children you know not only are they our future but they are a wonderful um you know source of volunteers for organizations um and, uh, and I, I just think there's a lot of potential that we can all be, be working more closely with kids and all the work that we do. Yeah, definitely. And with, with me, I think it goes back to a, a lot of early mentors I had in my career. When I, when I think through whatever success I have had, um, a, a lot of it has come at the backs of really, really sitting down and learning you know, what are the ways that I can, when I talk about like making an impact in the community, I didn't just wake up yesterday and do that. It, it, it was learned over time. It was learned about how do I, how do I really, you know, speak to people about the mission? and What are the best kinds of things to, um, to do to set myself apart as, as a professional and really as a person, right? I mean, you know, learning the important skills of, of, of master masterful management of, with people and around other people is something that um, you know I, I've developed only because people have shown me how to do that really great people in my life and so you know I'm fortunate and, and probably Nancy too if you mm-hmm. think about people that have kind of steered you in a good path um, you know there, there's too many to mention but um, you know, even and even now I have. You know, earlier today I had a meeting with with one of my mentors, Tom Raffio, uh, who's the CEO from Northeast Delta Dental, and an extremely busy man. Extremely busy. He's involved in a lot of different causes, uh, both both from a for-profit, you know, running a company, as well as other nonprofits. And I'm fortunate enough now, you know, in my career to you know. To have somebody that I can meet with, like like Tom, who takes the time and dedicates dedicates his efforts to let me help Brian be a be a stronger advocate for heart health within the state. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing such wonderful information with us today, and for being here. I really appreciate it. We thank you. Appreciate we appreciate that. everything you do. Oh, no problem.
I hope that you enjoyed listening to today's episode about the American Heart Association. I will leave all of the information, both local and national, in the description box as well as on the YouTube video. Hopefully, you've had some education today on what this organization does and learned a little bit more about how important the work they do is. Remember, you can find the podcast on Spotify, Apple, and YouTube, and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, Dose of Good Podcast. That will be linked below as well. If you found this podcast informative or inspiring, please consider leaving a review on Spotify and Apple. I hope that you've been inspired to get more involved in your community and help others. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.